Stop it. Stop it. Yeah, we talk about that day regularly and what it would have been like to come and serve with Andrew and the beautiful people here. And every time we come back, we just love... Come over, baby. We just love Mount Clear. We feel like it's home whenever we come back. It's just beautiful place, beautiful people, beautiful worship. And But yeah, God said, do this, so that's what you do. We um, Just to introduce ourselves a bit, if I could get the slide, if we've got that all going up on the board. So my name's Scott, this is Jen, and we're missionaries with Youth with a Mission. Um, but we use this name, Hope Community. That's what we would prefer to be known as, Hope Community, because in the Middle East, we don't say Youth with a Mission or... Uh, anything like that, ever, and never, ever, ever. So we say, for, for my family, Hope Community. So our call that God has put on our hearts for the Middle East is that uh, we would bring hope. And so we just thought, Hope Community, that sounds good. And it saves us having to try not to say youth with a mission, but just so you know, that's, uh, that's Hope Community. If we can go to the next slide. So just a brief, brief overview like I said, my name's Scott. I was pretty much born and bred in Ballarat. Uh, my testimony, at about 13 years of age, um, my friend, he brought around some marijuana to my house. We snuck out the back. We smoked some marijuana. And I remember at that moment, it was like a, uh, a very poor choice, obviously. But it was a, a moment in my life where I let in this thing, and that was the standard from now on. I'd smoke marijuana. So the next time it came up, I just would do it again, and I started drinking alcohol at a young age as well until I finished high school, just scraped through high school. Um, got a very low enter score, so I didn't get into university. So I went into factory work with a whole bunch of other guys that just happened to love doing the same things that I was doing. And so we party all the time. Every weekend was just... Crazy, and I just spiraled down the um, textbook depressive cycle that happens when you're a drug addict. And I got to the point where I was 25. I'd ruined relationships in my family uh, with my parents, relationships that I was in. It was just a big mess. So at 25, I was actually <laughs> just down the road here, uh, sitting in my car. I was high on drugs at the time. I'd had a big fight in my house, which is also just down the road. And... Um, I was just contemplating suicide. I'm thinking about ending my life because my life was so bad. I was so, just couldn't think straight. And in that moment, it wasn't an audible voice of God, but it was just this prompting just hit the car like, you need to go to church. And I just remember I just laughed out loud in the car and I thought, there's no way I can go to church. Um, how I am, I'm just the worst, worst sinner. I'd never been to church before as in a service. So this was 25 years old. And, but the next day I woke up, smoked some marijuana, went to the church because that was my fu I couldn't function unless I was under the influence of marijuana. But I went to the church and long story short, the pastor just giving this message about God's love, about there's, you know, nothing you've done in life is too uh, bad for God to forgive you of your sin, for God to give you a new life. And so he said, if anyone wants to have that new life today, then raise your hand. And so over the next few weeks, he was doing the same altar call. So I'm doing the same thing every week. I'm like, I just need Jesus, raising my hand. And then, um, yeah, God changed my life. So I moved back to my family, my parents. I reconciled with my mum and dad. 
and I had no withdrawal symptoms or anything like that, even though I tried rehab a few times. So that's my story, and I'll just hand it over to Jen. Um, we had polar opposite upbringings in one sense. I grew up in a Christian family in church, but um, what I didn't realize was that I had an inaccurate view of God, and I had huge walls up around my heart that were pre- preventing God's love to really penetrate. And um, when we were in India last year, God gave me this um, picture of me in um, like a castle that had like a winding staircase that went all the way up with big, thick brick walls. And he showed me that across my journey, he'd been slowly walking up the stairs. And at that point, for me, he was outside my room knocking like, can let me in now? Um, yeah, so knowing God as a father was a difficult thing for me with three different fathers transitioning through my life. And there was lots of hurt and pain that was locked up in that castle. And um, God's journey of um, coming in and slowly, patiently walking up the stairs patient as I slowly let him walk closer and closer into my heart Um, and Scotty and I met and Scotty was in Bible college and um, we began our beautiful family as God continued to bring healing and restoration to my life and to our marriage as um, we journeyed through that and then we continued on to um, following what God was saying to pursue missions so we packed up our things and um, resigned work and headed to the YWAM base in Perth and began our training. Um, And we did a a discipleship training school at DTS in an all-generations course. So we had a a guy that was 18 up until a a retired pastor who was 73. And um, we started this journey of really encountering God in a deep and powerful way and being equipped to then use that in the nation's so after we finished the training, we headed to India and Indonesia um, and um, continued in the journey of surrender and, and drawing closer to God. And um, it's amazing how, how much your, your journey with God can accelerate when you have to let go of everything else. Um, yeah, it was really exciting. So we came back and felt like God was highlighting Israel and Palestine to us. And we started a second school called School of Frontier Missions that prepares you for long-term missions overseas. And we completed that and then headed on a trip to kind of um, to Israel-Palestine, which we recently returned from, to see what God was showing us. So if you're familiar with this, this is what we call the 1040 window. So inside the 1040 window, we have... China and India, which take up most of the world nearly, and then we have all across North Africa as well. Um, So this is where, as as missionaries, it would be crazy for us to go anywhere else except somewhere in this uh, region here, which um, you can take your pick. You can go to Thailand, you can go to Saudi Arabia, you can go to Morocco. So if you want to go to the next slide, I'll just give you a brief overview of the 1040 window. It's 69 nations, two-thirds of the world's population, so 4 billion people live in there. 95% have never heard the gospel, which includes Israel and Palestine, and I'll get to that in a moment. Um, It's illegal to share the gospel in a lot of these nations as well, and you can be sentenced to death, and I would probably classify that as the majority of the Middle East and Central Asia. 87% of the poorest of the poor live in this part of the world. The poorest of the poor is 
it's an official uh, name. It's in a hierarchy of, of rich to poor. So there's rich, poor, then, 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 then poor. Then there's the poorest of the poor, which is $250 or less a year per family. So as Youth with a Mission, we're beginning to send uh, teams, long-term teams and short-term teams to this part of the world. But that's only really a new thing. Um, because at present, less than 1% of missions resources goes to the 1040 window. So there's trillions of dollars that is gone into missions. I have no idea where that is, but statistically, trillions of dollars is donated to missions. But less than a percent, it's actually 0.005% goes to the 1040 window. So if we go to the next slide, uh, brings us to Israel and the West Bank. Uh, so... Uh, my family, we live just where Jerusalem is. We're just in the orange zone in the West Bank in Bethlehem. Most of you would know Bethlehem. It's actually a little town just next door to Bethlehem. Um, this is an amazing part of the world. It's a very troubled part of the world as well. And um, there's conflict. There's conflict on a daily basis. And um, it's very directed at... Uh, Israel or it's directed at Palestinians so we do feel very safe in our town and when we do travel around to different areas but um, it is a conflict zone and did you want to share something about it? Yeah, and there's in, in this whole region here in Israel and the West Bank less than 1% of the population are believers less than 1% 15,000 of nearly 11 million people so there's very little churches, there's very little believers sharing with other people, there's, there's, you don't, most people don't know a Christian, most people don't know where a church would be, and um, they haven't heard. They are in the unreached bracket. So for Jewish people, uh, they don't talk about Jesus, obviously, and they probably haven't for a long time, and if we do... Uh, if someone does normally share with them what they've been taught to say is, um, someone might say, like me, oh, have you heard of Yeshua, Jesus, Yeshua? And they normally correct someone who's sharing and they would say, it's Yeshu. We, we say Yeshu. And Yeshu means um, like blotted out, erased forever. So, they, so I'm saying, have you heard of Jesus, the Messiah? They will say, no, it's actually the name that is blotted out forever that we don't talk about. Is that who you're referring to? And so... Then the Muslim people who live in the West Bank and Gaza Strip and some in Israel, um, again, that's, they haven't heard this, the story of Jesus and that he was the Messiah to come. They know Jesus as a prophet in the Quran, but they, you would think living in the Holy Land that they would have heard the story, but they, they haven't. So, um, I could talk a lot more about that, but I don't want to get into political things and what... And, sway you either way because we're ministering to both people we minister to jewish people we minister to people palestinians in the west bank and we love them we love these people do you want to go to the next slide thanks so just a quick uh this is kind of our area in bethlehem this on the left is um aza camp one of the three refugee camps in the west bank in, Pal in bethlehem sorry and this key we see a symbol around um, Palestine all the time there's always the a poster of a key or something and um, what it symbolizes to the Palestinians is that uh, some of them were uh, re forcefully removed from their homes at some point in the last 60 years 
and came over to Bethlehem into the refugee camp. So they've taken their keys to their house. They think maybe one day they'll go back to their home. So they still have some of their keys, the original keys. So it's just a symbolic thing for the Palestinian people. You see that around everywhere. We have the wall that goes through uh, Bethlehem as well. Uh, next slide, thanks. And then we have the Mount of Olives. And this is, in my opinion, this is the main uh, conflict reason for everything that is happening in this region at the moment. So I'll just briefly overview that for you. The beautiful, um, stunning Dome of the Rock. When you're driving around Jerusalem, all you can see is this golden dome. It just, you can't not look at it. It just sticks out so uh, easily. Is a Muslim building. It used to be the Temple Mount that uh, was built 1500 or however many years ago and that housed the Holy of Holies that was the most sacred site to um, the Jewish people. Um, but through history, Jerusalem as a city was knocked down, built up again, knocked down and built up again until um, the Muslims conquered and built the Dome of the Rock. And then over here, they have, it's the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is, I think, the third holiest mosque to the Muslim people. So Jewish people, instead of coming to the Temple Mount where they would love to come and pray and offer their sacrifices and do everything like that, they're not allowed on top of the Temple Mount anymore. So that's why most people are familiar with the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. They come to the wall and they pray, they put their prayers into the wall, but uh, they're not allowed on top of the Temple Mount anymore. So they just come to the wall. So in Judaism's most holiest city, you have Islam's third most holiest site and you have pilgrimage for Christians and Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Catholics, all coming into this one place and it just creates just a hot pot of, of mixed religions, of spiritual warfare and it's just a really tense, uh, at least at the moment, it's a really tense place to be. So next slide, thanks. So Jen would normally say this but I'll kick it off. So the current, current needs we have. So uh, what, what are we doing in, in the West Bank at the moment? So the first thing is uh, there's a lot of youth who enter into violent acts. It's a weekly thing they do uh, through protests. They'll throw rocks at the wall. They'll get involved in little skirmishes with the Israeli soldiers. So we need some kind of deterring from this weekly thing. I know in Bethlehem, the uh, imam of the mosque he will fire up the young guys and he'll tell them they took our land. They're going to keep taking more land. We need to protest and we need to um, throw rocks at the wall. So they come and throw rocks at the wall. But if it gets a bit too heated, then the Israeli soldiers will come and uh, shoot tear gas and it's just a big thing. So um, somehow we need to get amongst the youth and we need to redirect them from just the, the life that style that they're living. The things they've been taught since a young age and uh, Jen's going to tell you the rest. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the Shine program, but it's a program started in Hillsong, Sydney, and it um, is a course that teaches young girls about their value and their purpose and how to set goals. And I was able to be a part of running a course in Bethlehem while I was there, and it was amazing to see the transformation in these girls. Half were Muslim and half were Christian, and being able to love on them and speak into their lives, you could see that everything they were hearing, they'd never heard before. And this is the next generation. Um, so it was a really great opportunity and it exposed a need for me 
that would be absolutely transformational as far as culture and the next generation. Um, Scotty spent a lot of time being involved in a wheelchair ministry in the south. Um, a lot of the people in the West Bank are very poor and have no access to medical care. Any children who have any disabilities, any elderly people with chronic conditions, they just don't have any care. Often Scotty would go into houses with just um, an elderly lady lying on a blanket on the floor. And um, these, the door that opened for them to be able to deliver it, they actually do it with the government and they actually go into people's homes, Muslim people's homes in very traditional villages and they get to sit and they pray for people and they share their testimonies. Um, but it's coming with being his hands and showing love. And it's an amazing, miraculous door to be able to be welcomed into someone's home and given a platform to be able to share and minister in that way. And um, so evangelism and church planning in areas um, in, in all over Israel and Palestine. Um, there's limited workers coming. We need people to come and learn the language and commit to coming and, and being the change and um, bringing hope to an area that's really... Um, trapped in a lot of conflict and for us to be able to go back long term and make this place our home we need we need people to partner with us we can't do this alone and um, long term to be there we need a supportive team we need finances we need people praying we need connection we want we'll be sending out newsletters every month or two and keeping you in the loop and it's everything that is achieved for the last trip that we did was done with a support team and it's made possible just as much from everybody here that sewed into it than us going. Um, and to be able to go back, we need that to be possible too. So we love people's prayer. We love hearing contact from other people. And it's such an encouragement for us long term. Yeah. Next slide, thanks. Oh. Oh, this is just a, a couple of photos of some really beautiful people that I met while I was there. So down the bottom is the group of um, girls in Bethlehem. Um, so they've got their tiaras on on the right on their graduation night with their certificates and we took them out to a really fancy restaurant on their last night and just every week they got a gift and we were just able to shower them in God's love and make them feel really special. And up the top I was able to help with a medical clinic um, a couple of times and the, the lady on the left here, she's only 50 and she has six daughters and six sons. And she also lost four children. So she's been pregnant 16 times. Um, and her face flashed back to when we were sitting at home about to leave to get our, start our training. And God dropped the word hope, hope community in our hearts. It's like, you need to bring hope in areas where there's no hope. And her face jogged me back to that moment and um, made me realize that, yeah, okay. It was an extra level of commitment like, God, if you wanted me to come here in this tiny little town with my kids, I'm like, her face is the motivator. Um, and the beautiful lady on the right is Fatima, and she's been married one year, and she's praying for a baby because she really wants to get pregnant, but um, she's in a, a relationship with a lot of domestic violence, and she just followed me around all afternoon. She couldn't speak any English, and she just followed me around like this cute little shadow holding my hand, and... Um, she was, yeah, really beautiful. Okay, I'll just um, fly by these things. These are some verses that God has given us to, uh, I guess, that have been our mandate for what, we, what we're called to do in the Middle East. So 
It is God's plan both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. So I'll just go to the next slide. Uh, so 2 Corinthians 5. Through, uh, through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So as ambassadors for Christ in the Middle East, he's given us the, the ministry of reconciling people. So who? We're reconciling people back to God. We're reconciling Jewish people with Palestinian people, Jewish dad with the Jewish wife, son, daughter. Uh, the lady that we were just talking about, Jen, who's, uh, her husband beats her, which is rampant across the Middle East, is we're reconciling him back to his wife and his wife back to him and back to their children again, all through Jesus. First reconcile back to God and then reconciling each other and their family. So that's, part of, that's our heart. The next one. Um, you're probably familiar with this. This was crucial for us going into this region that Paul said to the Jews, I became like a Jew. So when we go into Israel, we say Shalom, we say Bokotov, we say whatever else, few Jewish things we can say. And um, we dress according to the standard for the Israeli people and we, we, we treat them with the dignity that they deserve. When we're in the West Bank, we say all our Arabic things. I'm just a mental blank. Mahaba, kif halaka, bibi. And uh, whatever else we can say, asking for things, how much is this? And we dress respectfully to the Muslim culture. It doesn't mean we have to, Jen doesn't wear a burqa or anything like that, but we dress probably just how I'm dressed now, shirt, nice pants, and Jen will be we covered appropriate. Why? That by all means we might save some. That if if we uh, if we're hanging around someone who's a drug addict now, I'm like I don't talk Christianese. I don't talk really proper and stand really proper. I talk I relate on their level, mate. I understand exactly what's going on in your life, bro. Man, listen, Jesus, Jesus can do it. He can change your life. And I st- why that I might save some. That by all means we might save some. So when we're in another culture, especially with two different cultures side by side. We needed this verse and God gave it to us just before we left that um, we become all things to all people, not outside the law of Christ, but so that we might save some. So this is really, uh, really great for us. And the next slide. And this is my vision. This is what God's put on my heart. (sighs) That the Middle East will be saved. And there's so many... Things that people might say that that would never happen or it's not supposed to happen or something like that, but it's God's will that none would perish. And so one day I was driving back uh, from Israel back into the West Bank and there's all these mountains everywhere and stuff like this and I was thinking about someone in the town that I'd just spoken to and just thought, oh God, if, if just that person came to the Lord, like that would be so awesome. And God's like, I want the Middle East to be saved. Like think about the house, think about the family, think about the town, think about the city, think about the region, and then take a step back and think, what's God's heart that the Middle East will be saved? And it's not possible, it's actually probable, and God's in the business of impossible. So this is what God's put in my heart, that the Middle East will be saved. So you can take the slides down, thanks for that, mate. And uh, just to finish off, I just wanted to share um, something God's just put in my heart for today. So hopefully it'll encourage you. And and come talk to us later. (laughs) 
If you want to know anything more, um, I enjoy. I probably might have been a bit vague with uh, the situation in Israel. That was just uh, just to give you an overview. If you want more detailed things or you want to talk politics, I don't know a lot about politics, but happy to talk talk about it with you as well. And uh, don't want to embarrass him, but I just want to honour. I don't know if Mr. Berryman uh, knows, but it was his son David who back in the day when I was partying at these guys' houses and this guy, Dave, who I'd never known before, boxer and clearly a tough-looking guy and I was a bit intimidated by him, but he shared the gospel with me at this party while I'm standing drinking, doing drugs and then Dave's like, I don't know how, I can't remember how it started, but he was um, crucial in leading me to the Lord, so... I've told Dave this, but I don't know if you knew that as well. So I just wanted to honour you as his father and say thank you. It was, um, yeah. <clears throat> okay, so I wanted to talk about if we are a believer today in Jesus, and I want to use this metaphor of us being a vessel. So hopefully this is going to work. Us being a vessel, all right? Uh, we're in a time of dire urgency for the gospel to go out um, all over the world, as we saw in the 1040 window. Yet sometimes we feel like maybe our vessel, it's not working 100%, there's not quite enough oil in the motor, or maybe we've just docked it, we've decided I'm going to park this vessel in this port for a while. Or maybe we've just detoured from the mission, maybe we've just set our own course, we've just gone our own way uh, in our vessel. So I want to share some testimonies, some stories about just things that have been happening in my life related to this and just some practical ways so um, that we can get the vessel uh, unstoppable, that we can become an unstoppable vessel. So I never want to let myself get in the way of what God wants to do in someone else's life. This was taught for me in such a horrific way that I was with one of my, my best friends who I grew up with. Uh, he was living in Perth, and then when I moved over to Perth, um, I met up with him a few times. He was in Frio, real spiritual dude, into all sorts of stuff. He works on the Sea Shepherd. He's like just hippie, dreadlocks, cool guy. And we've known each other our whole life. And one night before I was first going overseas, um, we went out for dinner and we just got onto God, just started talking about God. And he was totally like ready to believe. He was totally open and he's asking all these questions oh, what, and this and that. And I'm telling him about Jesus and in the Gospels, what Jesus did, what Jesus did in my life. And he just transformed my life. And he saw my transformation because now I don't party with him anymore, but I used to party with him back in the day. And he knows, knows me, he knows my family and we're really close and so I'm just sharing with him for about two hours and it was so awesome and he was so ready. But because I knew him my whole life, I didn't want things to get awkward. I thought maybe another time, I don't know how we'll come around to actually asking him, do you want to believe in Jesus? But um, I didn't ask that question. And I thought, oh, what if it gets weird? What if our relationship's not going to be the same afterwards? What if he's like, no, dude, I don't want to, don't ask me that, whatever. Fear of man. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever experienced that? So we went overseas. I left him. I came back. I said to Jen, I had the best chat with Buddy. It was awesome. I told him 
all this stuff and he was just loving it. And I said, go home. He said, I've got a Gideon's Bible at home. I'm like, bro, go read it. John, read John. Read Matthew. Just read the Gospels. You'll see Jesus loves you, bro. And he's like, oh, man, this is so cool. And then uh, I went overseas and then my sister rang me. Oh, dear. I cry all the time, so don't worry about it. I'm cool. So just... My sister rang me, oh, and she had this tone in her voice, same as like she rang me a few years prior and said uh, that my dad had passed away. She's rang me and she's like, oh, I've got some news. Same, exact same scenario. So she says, buddy, he's, he's been found dead in his house in Perth. And I was like, what? No way. And just straight away, I'm just like, damn. I had no idea what happened to him between... When I finished talking to him, when he went and read his Gideon's Bible, but if we look at his, the outcome, I don't know if he accepted the Lord before then. And oh man, I was just cut. And I just thought, God, why would I ever let myself, stuff in my life, get in the way of what God wants to do in someone else's life? Why would I let the fear of man, what's he going to think? Like we're talking about someone's, Eternal salvation, someone's eternity with their father and just stuff got in the way. And so, yeah, I learned the hard way. And I'm just, after that, I just thought, God, never again am I going to withhold the joy that comes from knowing Jesus because of some, what, because I've known him my whole life or because, you know, it's a guy in the coffee shop and if I tell him, oh, do you want to believe in Jesus after I've shared with him and he says, no, oh, I can't go and get coffee anymore, like, Stupid, stupid stuff. So, yeah, I just ask God, just kill that in me. Just die to myself. Just, I just want to lay that down. Um, we're in a race in the mission that God has set before us. It's a race for souls and time is short. And many, many precious people just slip into eternity every day because no one's told them about the love of God. No one's told them that they're loved and... And I just think of the people in my life as well. Who doesn't know about God yet, but they could slip, slip away in any moment? You never know. I thought I was going to come back to see Buddy again. I thought I was going to tell him all these miracles that happened in India and all this stuff and be like, oh, yeah, so do you want to believe in Jesus? Like I had a plan for later. But you never know when someone's time might be up. So the world needs unstoppable vessels of God's love, letting nothing get in between us and the person next to us. And that verse that, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know your name, read before, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I had the same verse. And the point that I highlighted was that, um, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Let's get everything that is hindering us from running the race that Jesus, that we're in, um, off us, whatever that might be. Just uh, get anything that is not of God, any weight, any blockage to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Just get that out of our lives. And then I'll just I'll come up with these little quotes. So this is my little quote. Instead of everybody, instead of every person being a no, unless the Holy Spirit said yes, why don't we think of every person as yes, unless the Holy Spirit says no? Sometimes I talk to people and they would say, I just need to, when we're referring to being a vessel of God's love and sharing the gospel, we need to just be uh, open to the Holy Spirit, wait for the Holy Spirit to confirm that this person is the person that I should share with. And 
And I agree with that, that, that God will give us a word of knowledge or he'll give us something to share with someone or he'll just highlight someone that you just, they're just sitting in front of you, you just keep looking at them. I had with this guy in Jerusalem, he was just sitting there and that's a whole other story. But sometimes God will, the Holy Spirit will do that. But what if we just see every person, that means we're seeing every person as a no, no, don't speak, don't share, unless the Holy Spirit gives us a yes. But I think we should flip that around. And it would be so weird, like every single person you walk past, somehow, some act of love, some word of encouragement, something, some sharing about, you know, God loves you. It's easy. God loves you. And just wait for the response and then see, see if it opens up. But if every person was a yes instead of a no, it would take, shopping would take a bit longer. Stuff would take a bit longer. But this is people's souls we're talking about. So the first thing I think is crucial if we want to be an unstoppable vessel is communication with base command. I call it communication with base command. So if we have a vessel, we're out in sea, we need to be constantly communicating with God, constantly getting, um, getting into the secret place with Him. Unstoppable vessels are forged in the secret place with God. The secret place with God is just a term. In Wawan we say quiet time. Have your quiet time. Always have your quiet time with God every day quiet time but get alone with God get into that secret place alone with him and communicate with him all the time uh, Jesus did it he went by himself before he chose the 12 disciples um, Luke 6 this isn't up there so don't freak out Luke 6 says he uh, prayed all night alone and then he chose the 12 disciples this is the model that we have that Jesus understood that being alone with the Father, that's, um, that's everything. If we don't have that alone time, that quiet time with God daily, multiple times daily, as much as possible um, priority, then um, we're not going to be an unstoppable vessel. That the flow of the love of God is going to be blocked somewhere. Second Kings 4, I found this great verse, 32 to 35. Elisha, <laughs> it's so funny in... Um, Arabic, they have a totally different word, Elisha and Elijah. And I was in this church and they were translating it into English. And they, they, they don't understand why we name them so similar together, Elisha and Elijah. And they have completely different names. But this is Elisha. Came into the house. He saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. So he saw a boy dead. And you can read up on the context of that if you like but he's walked into a room there's a boy dead in the room so he walks into another room shuts the door he's like i've got to get alone with god here and then he prayed to the lord then when he came out um in, in my opinion he's got a word from god do this and so he's come out and he's laid with his hand his hands on the boy's hands he's facing the boy's face the eyes on the eyes the body on the body and long story short the boys come back to life so we need to shut the door on some stuff in our life sometimes to just get alone with God. And at times I've said to myself, like, I'm so busy. When, God? Or, I'm, I'm too busy to do this. And so as a dad, and every time I share this, I get attacked. But I'm, I'm aware of this now. So I'll just share with you. In the mornings for me, I have to get up before everyone else and be alone with God. Otherwise, I don't get any time during the day. You might get little here and there, or then late at night, my brain is just fuzzed. So the only time is the best time for me is that I have to wake up early. And I don't like waking up early, but 
It's the best time. And I find every morning I get up, I hear something from God, like profound things from God every morning. Even though I'm so, my brain, is, I don't even know what to pray initially. I'm so tired. But then it just comes. And in being in his presence, being in that alone time where I've dedicated it to God, things happen. The second thing, apart from um, communicating with God all the time that I wanted to talk about, if we want to be an unstoppable vessel for God, is what I call sound the horn. We need to sound the horn. So this is, we actually need to speak out um, the things of God. We need to share with people in some way. And you don't need to give them the full, like you don't just talk about creation and then go through the whole thing, but it can be shortened. You can practice with your friends. Let's share the gospel in two minutes. Let's share the gospel in one minute, and that might be all you have. Let's just tell someone that they're loved by God and just see what happens after that. And a lot of times... People will just stop and maybe they'll say, what do you mean? Or, no, he doesn't. Or, how do you know? Or, and then it opens up for engagement as well. But sound the horn. There's um, a town we went into in the West Bank, Yatta. The town's called Yatta. And we took some wheelchairs in. It's very, I found out later, um, very uh, terrorist town, Hamas town. So they're big supporters of Hamas in Yatta. And Marina Lady's house and she uh, had on the wall just a guy with a machine gun and all bullets over him like this. And then the Dome of the Rock that we saw before was like superimposed on the back of the um, picture. And then they had him in the foreground and all this Arabic writing. And we asked, who's this gentleman to the lady? And she's like, oh, this is my brother-in-law. He's in jail. I've never met him before in Israel. He's in jail because he got captured because he's Hamas terrorist and Israel captured him during the last intifada the last uprising in 2000 and so he's serving 30 years jail so she had never actually met him before she um, just married her brother um, and then later when we got back to Australia there was a, a terror attack in Tel Aviv some people got shot and they said the the guy that shot him he was from Yatta and I was like, no way, we go to Yatta all the time. And I actually liked Yatta because it was, it was just, a, I liked the town. I didn't have any idea that it was so entrenched because then they all celebrate um, the killing. So it was very pro, um, just to give you a picture, Hamas town. So the lady had her son who we were coming to visit. He had some muscle degenerative disease where he couldn't uh, walk, he couldn't move any of his limbs. So she brought him out and just plonked him on the couch and he just sat against the couch like that. And he was just smiling at us and went, oh, kifalaka bibi, tamam, alhamdulillah, talking. That was all about all I know how to say. And he's like, yeah, smiling. And then, but he couldn't move any of his limbs. And the mum was saying, eventually his heart will stop because it's attacking all his muscles. It's going to attack his heart as a muscle as well. So she was very upset and not optimistic at all that, you know, yeah, and why would you? And so we brought him a wheelchair because as part of our ministry, we, do, we find these people in the town. So the government finds them and we come and deliver the wheelchair. So we asked, can we pray for your boy? And um, I'm going to relate this to sounding the horn because once I saw the Hamas thing on the wall, although I wasn't scared, I thought the Muslim woman is home. I have no idea who's going to come and visit and we already shouldn't really be talking face to face to her, although in the house is okay. But a Muslim woman to a man, we, you should keep it very professional. You don't talk about personal things ever. 
uh, especially to a stranger. So I had all that waiting on my mind, and we just said, can we pray for the boy? She's like, yes, yes, please pray for the boy. So we prayed. We tried to stand him up. He didn't stand up. We sat him down again. We prayed again. We tried to stand him up. He didn't stand up. And his friend came over. His neighbor saw some uh, cars pulling up, so he was intrigued. So he came over, saw us there. He thought he'll get his friend, and the boy we were just praying for, and we'll put him in this car. It was like an electric car that he could sit in, but it didn't work. It was just a car but he would push him around in it. So he popped him in the car. He's pushing him up and down the hallway of the house. And then we looked over and realized the kid is now, he's steering the car. So he's got some movement back in his hands and he's steering the car. He's, the boy, his friend, is just getting excited. He's like, yes, you can finally, uh, you can steer now because he couldn't steer him. He had to slide the car straight and then going up and back in the hallway. So he's getting excited. Mum's starting to freak out. And then he takes the boy outside in the car. And so we went out to see him and we're out a couple of minutes later and he's taking the kid, there's just hills everywhere around our area and he's just ghosted him down the hill and just pushed him and the kid's going, whoa, and his friend's going, whoa, and I'm going, ah, and oh, it was crazy. But uh, God was starting to move and then we went back inside and I just had this overwhelming um, God just wanted me to share this word with her. I had a word of knowledge for the mum. And I'm just, oh, I should not do this because it's a, it's a breach of the cultural norm that I would ever say any personal details to a mum. But God was just like, Shan, I'm thinking of Buddy. And my friend, I'm like, never let yourself get in the way of what God wants to do in someone's life. So I shared it with her and it was... Uh, I had some personal details in it, but it was just about God's love for her and that God is seeing that she's been like this, and, but he actually sees her in a different way like this. And da-da-da, went on. And she left the room crying, which <laughs> I didn't know if that was good or a bad thing at the time. But the daughter, a probably five-year-old who could speak English, she said, oh, mum's crying. And I'm like, oh, is she okay? She's like, yeah, she's okay. And then the translator, who's a YWAMer as well, she said, yeah, women don't cry in front of men, they're very, they uphold the honor of Islam, the, the wife and the mum, so they're very proper, when they're in the street, they're very proper, so she had to leave the room, cried, came back, but then when she came back, she was sharing with our translator, who's a woman, we were outside, just, yeah, the word was good, God spoke, and she was saying, oh, my husband, he wants to marry another woman, because she, she's either not producing babies, or the baby she has produced has a problem, so in Islam, they can and they do in the West Bank a lot marry up to four wives so the the wife the one number one the current wife is just freaking out because she's doesn't want as you can imagine to live in the house with another woman and just the stuff that would happen uh, in that scenario so but she was encouraged and God spoke and she shared later with uh, the woman that our translator that yeah she felt encouraged so uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is in those situations we just got to open our mouth. We just have to say something. And if we're getting God's prompting you in your heart, don't ever let that um, situation pass you by. Romans 10, uh, 12, verse 12 to 15. It's uh, Paul talking about everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how... Are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
So how would anyone ever come to know God? I had a Dave Berryman in my life. I had a Pastor Scott Fellows in my life. I had people just appeared over the course of my, uh, the life that I was living somehow, just came up. And this pastor, he would come into the guitar shop that I worked in and I'd walk out to the car with him because he's a cool guy and I'm like, I really think I need to go to church. And as I was coming out to the car and he's like, oh, you should come up. Da, da, da. But it was two years later that I went up. But um, we need to open our mouth and we need to share. We have something so, the most precious thing in the universe we're carrying. Yeah, the fellowship relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so we, we must share. We must share it. As we sound the horn, um, the anointing comes as we share. It's not like I need to wait until I'm a great evangelist before I can share the gospel. The anointing just comes. And sometimes I'm just freaking out. And I'm like, and I'll go to start the conversation. I'm just like, and I'm like, hang on, get it right. Okay, hi, how are you going? And I'm just, I have no idea what I'm going to say, except God just is like, go speak to that person. And so then the anointing comes when we open our mouth and when we sound the horn. We don't need to wait to, like Reinhard Bonnke, he was not always Reinhard Bonnke, the mega evangelist. He was just Reinhard Bonnke, listening to God, sharing and taking the next step. And so then he grew and the anointing grew as he shared. So as we share, we get the anointing. We get uh, more result from preaching the gospel. And first, the confidence, it builds in ourselves. It's like, yes. I shared the gospel, and you're like, boom, and it's like, I did it, me, and that sort of thing. But then eventually, the confidence builds in the fact that it's not us that's doing it. It's God who, who brings the person and God who moves in the situation. So we move from a place of celebrating the fact that we sounded the horn to a place of celebrating the effect that the horn had on the spiritual atmosphere and on people's souls. So first, it's about, yes, I did it. Me. And it's not a bad thing. It's just because you need that confidence to when you first start sharing with people. But then after a while, it's like, I'm nothing. I'm just, it's not me at all. It's just, I just share. And then God just moves. And so we, we sort of transition through that place. So sanding the horn is a part of being um, an unstoppable vessel. And my last point, um, when we sound the horn, if you think of a vessel, a war vessel, and they sound the horn, in the open sea, they're going to attract some attention from the enemy. Um, it's just how it is. When you share the gospel, you're going to attract attention from the enemy. And an example I have of this is um, we went to a, a slum area and we used to go to the same slum area once a week and just try and build relationship and that sort of thing. So the... Uh, guy who we met, our contact, the informant, he was um, going to organise to round up all the people in the slum. We we're going to meet on this roof, and then we were going to share the gospel on this night. And so we got there, and he was asleep. He had been drinking heavily, and his mum woke him up. And then he came out, and we're like, "Hey, ready to go for tonight?" And he's like, "You didn't call me back." You're supposed to call me back and tell me. I'm like, ah, oh, that's a shame. That's all right. We'll just do our thing because we go into the slum. We like just worship and um, to draw a crowd. And then we share the gospel and we, we pray for people. And so we, we had a thing anyway. So we thought, it's not the end of the world. It's okay. He's like, no, no, no. I'll get some people. Give me some time. I'll get some people. So we, uh, me and another guy, we went up to the place where we had 
normally met people, just this concrete area. This is in a, a slum in Hyderabad, India. And uh, some people came up and they knew we were the praying people, like they re- recognized us. So they're just bringing people to us and saying, oh, this woman has this problem and stuff. So every time I prayed for someone, I just got, as soon as I touched them, I just got this splitting headache, like it was, felt like someone was stabbing me in the temple. It was really intense. And I'd pray and just nothing would happen. There was no flow happening. And I was just, I was wondering what was happening because prior to that, we'd seen people getting healed all the time. And it was, God was just moving. And I thought, this is, yeah, it's just not happening. It's like I was trying to force the thing and it just wasn't going on. But every time I prayed, I'd get stabbing pain in the head. So then uh, our leader, Ashley, she came back up. She'd been helping the guy sober up a bit and ran up some people. She came back and I was just telling her what was happening. She said, yeah, the same when she came in, she just felt sick, really sick to her stomach. And we've been here a few times and God was healing people in this place. So it was not common. It was abnormal. So we uh, thought we'll go up onto the roof and we'll just worship over the slum for a little bit, just to see what happens. On our way up to the roof, uh, I don't know how it happened, but two people from our team, they went into someone's house, and the woman in there, she was um, demon-possessed and just, what do you call it? Manifesting. Manifesting a demon. And so they were in there dealing with that, and we were up on the roof worshipping, and um, as we were worshipping, it just, that you could feel in the atmosphere, the spirit was just like, boom, just broke. This oppressive, demonic spirit in the spiritual realm just broke. And we later found out that a lot of people weren't in the slum that night because they were going to worship the Hindu god just next door to us. So they were worshipping the Hindu god. We were in their slum trying to uh, share the gospel. And, and have people healed. So during an attack like that, we can't stop. I could have gone, oh, I need to get my Panadol. It's not at the house. I mean, it's not in my pocket. It's back at the house. Let's just go back to the house. This is weird. Drunk guy hasn't organized what we're supposed to organize. I'm out. But we pressed through and we went onto the roof and we just worshiped God. And we're singing and praising. And you could feel the, the spiritual atmosphere break. So after that happened... Um, people started coming up onto the roof. Demon-possessed woman, she's done. She's gone. He's got, it's gone. Spirit's gone. She's feeling better. So we're down with her again, and she's telling us um, that this happens to her every year, same time, that this demon manifests in her when this festival is on, worshipping the God, the Hindu God. So every year this happens, and that her husband uh, has made her, over the years, um, open up, her spirit to this spirit god that they're worshiping she gets possessed by the god on purpose to that's that's what they do so she said that her husband he gets her to do that every year or he did but now every year when the festival's on they're worshiping she freaks out she has the demon and so that's gone so we're talking to them the husband is skeptical she said she wants to believe in jesus but the husband doesn't want her to. Or he said, you can, but you can't forsake the family gods. They're, believe in Jesus if you want to, but don't forsake the family gods that we believe, our Hindu gods. And so we're trying to, yeah, we need to talk about that a little bit. So we said, why don't you come up on the roof? We're going to share about Jesus. So the husband, he can come up onto the roof as well. And he was drunk too. 
So, but he said he'll come up onto the roof. When we got onto the roof, demonic spirit's gone. Holy Spirit is just reigning all over the place. And we share the gospel and people start getting healed. The husband, and I mean like, when I say healed, there was a guy who, uh, he couldn't lift his arms up. He fell and concussed or severely damaged his brain. He couldn't lift his arms up much and he kind of walked with a slidey thing. And... Yeah, so we'd prayed for him a couple of times earlier, but he came up onto the roof as well. And we're buddies now, like he's, hey, yeah, he, he knew us and we'd, we'd made a relationship even though we had the language barrier. But he came up onto the roof, he got healed completely and he was running up and down on the roof. He was putting his hands up in the air, both hands up in the air like this, and he's just a smile on his face. He's just been completely touched by God. So during an attack or during a feeling of inadequacy, if that's the right word, during a feeling of... I can't do this. Thank God we can't do this. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that does this through us. So uh, that's the story of that. Peter is a prime example of this. Before the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, he denied Jesus three times. But then after that, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 2.14, it says, um, But Peter, standing with the eleven, depending on your translation, says, lifted up his voice. Some translations say, and then Peter stepped forward. So people, they received the Holy Spirit. People started mocking them, saying, are they drunk? What's going on? And then Peter, Mr. Denial, steps up, steps forward after he's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. Then a bit further on in Acts, at Solomon's portico, the lame man was healed by Peter and John. Then people start asking what's going on. And then Peter again steps forward and says this, is not by us, this is by the Jesus that you crucified. And uh, as Peter preached against the persecution, he realized that although the number of people outnumbered him that were persecuting him, they were insignificant compared to the king which he was preaching. Although the the external circumstances might look uh, overwhelming, compared to God, it's insignificant. An unstoppable vessel, it does not stop against persecution or any attack the enemy throws at it, but instead it pushes through, sounding the horn, keeping communication with God and understanding that the surroundings are insignificant against the force of God's love. So don't be scared or allow any fear to come into our heart. Final story, short one. Um, My friend, this is about fear and overcoming fear. My friend from when I worked in Melbourne, a devout Hindu, him and his wife, and they celebrate Ganesh. Is that right? Ganesh Festival they have every year. It's a big deal in Melbourne as well. And yeah, popular maybe in, I don't know, Ganesh Festival. Everyone knows about it. So he invited me over. Why don't you come to Ganesh Festival when we're worshipping the God? And you can come over and it'll be fun. And I was like, no worries. But I got there late and I missed the worshipping the God bit. I wasn't going to worship the God, obviously. But this is about fear and I'll get to the point in a minute. But I brought my family. Did we have Raya? I can't remember. I think we had Raya. I think we had three kids. Not sure. Wife can't hear me. Um, but I came over and I went into the house and we sat down. We had a meal in front of the God and they were offering the food to the God. This is... I don't know if you guys are getting freaked out by this or not. It sounds normal for me because I don't have the fear. And I'll get to the point. 
So my dad called me, and so I went into another room, into the kitchen. I'm just talking to my dad for a minute at a Ganesh festival, and and then I saw all the gods that they have in the kitchen that they uh, worship and they sprinkle the things on, and it, it's the shrine of their gods. And so when I got off the phone to my dad, I just started praying over the thing and started just any power that these things have over my friend, just cut it off in Jesus' name. Any uh, thing that they're offering up to this God, I'll just render this God, uh, what's the word for no power? Weak, weakness, no, useless, not useless. Null and void, that'll do. I'll just render this God, yeah, this God has no power, no power. And because I, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, then why would I be scared to go into someone's house who's having a Ganesh festival and worry about a, a spirit doing something back to me? And I'm not, this is, the, for this, this is in this context. So I don't go demon slaying everywhere I go. But in this context, why would I? He's invited me. I'm like, this is a perfect opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come into this guy's house while he's offering up to these gods and just bring the love of God into this place. So that's what we did. So I just got rid of the spirit of the gods, came back in, prayed over them, talked about our God to him, and it was a great time. But fear, and when I share that with some people, they think it's crazy. And if, depending on your, your revelation of what I just said, it might not be a good idea. And like I said, I don't go into, when we were in India, I don't just walk into every temple of every God and do the same thing. But I thought in this context, my friend is... Uh, under the oppression of a false god. And who, who would I be to not come to his house because he's worshipping, in my opinion, a powerless god because I have God, the God. So who would I be to, to hold him back from experiencing the love of God and experiencing the Holy Spirit? And so I just want to encourage you guys um, in the area of fear as well that it can be a big thing when we go to other cultures and it can be a big thing when we're sharing with people the fear creeps in. And as soon as I feel fear, I have to recognize that's not of God. He did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and sound mind. So I want to encourage you guys, be an unstoppable vessel. And we do that by we get in the secret place with God. We sound the horn. And when things happen, we don't shy away because we have the, the spirit of the living God living inside of us. Amen? So just to close... I just wanted to see where, where, where are you at today in regards to what I've just said. And if you ever felt powerless or you felt unable to be this unstoppable vessel, could the... That dude? Thanks, man. He's awesome. He's awesome, yeah. <laughs> if you have felt powerless in this uh, or unable to be this unstoppable vessel, I can't share, I can't open my mouth. I have the fear of man. I have stuff uh, which we're all overcoming to some degree. We're, I'm not completely fearless of man to, to a whole degree. If the king of Saudi Arabia came into my presence, I don't know. What would, it, would I have? Would the fear come over me? Or would I be able to step up and say, Hey, brother, let me tell you about Jesus. But if we're, if we're struggling in that area, not struggling, if we want more revelation, in the area of uh, wanting to be an unstoppable vessel, wanting to open our mouth and share. Um, 
wanting to break that thinking of powerlessness over our minds and just uh, go for it, then I would encourage you, maybe we can pray for you uh, in the next few minutes. You can raise your hand or if you just want to come down, we'll just pray. And, and it's not me and it's not, I mean, I'm nothing without Jesus. I can't do anything. But when you get the revelation of his love, when you get the revelation that you have power and authority over every single thing, then maybe I can just anoint you with that when I pray for you. But without Jesus, I can't do anything. Oh, man. It's God. It's all about God. And he does the impossible. So I just feel like in this town in Ballarat, we just need some people who will open their mouths and just share the love of God. And we don't have to condemn people. We don't have to fire and brimstone people. There's so much of the gospel message that you don't need to focus on that bit. Yes, they need to repent of sin, of course. But that's not the main part that we need to spend 10 minutes on. That's just a portion. When you receive the love of God, repent of your sin. Done. Just do it. Bang. And then you receive the love of the Father. And then your life will turn around. When you repent, you go from one to the other. I was a drug addict. I was completely hopeless. I was angry and bitter and resentful and judgmental and horrible. And then I received Jesus and I repented. I said, God, and you know what? I don't feel bad about that anymore. There was some turbulence of my lifestyle that impacted other people's lives that I make amends for whenever I can. But God gave me new life and I turned from my ways. So if you want boldness and power that comes from knowing God more intimately, then let's do that today. Let's just pray. Let's just ask for it from God. And um, let's just see what happens. If there's healing that you need in your life, oh man, I don't want anything to get in the way of someone being healed. And I just want to speak it out in faith that you, you are healed in Jesus' name. If anyone needs healing today, let's just believe God's just going to do it. That's what he does. Every time Jesus prayed for someone, laid hands on someone, they were healed. And so we can be like Jesus in that area if we believe and if we have faith. So maybe just to finish off, if... Uh, if anyone wants this, this boldness to come upon them, wants the, the passion, the fire of God to come upon them to go into this town, there's only 100,000 people. There's a lot of churches. I think if we divide it up, you might only need to lead 10 people to the Lord personally. And then if we all did that, the whole town would be saved. So it can happen. The Middle East can be saved, will be saved. Ballarat will be saved. Come on. So if you want that, why don't we just stand to our feet? If you need healing in any area of your life, let's do that as well. Let's get sickness done with. So, can we sing a song maybe? The miracle song?
Let's just worship God for a few more minutes. And if uh, you want prayer in any of the areas we've just talked about, let's just make our way to the front. And if you need healing, you can either put your hand up or you can come down to the front as well. But let's do this. Let's get fired up for Jesus. Let's not hold back anything from God. So I'll give it a few minutes. If you want to come and get prayer for anything, just you can come down.